0: Good morning again, Austin Oaks Church. We are excited to have you here with us this morning. Uh, my name is Chad McCartney. I'm the Executive Pastor of Discipleship. I'm filling in for Lead Pastor Brandon Zisky, who, uh who is recovering from third-degree burns from all the fireworks he was lighting off uh, yesterday. Hang on a minute. I knew you were going to do something. Okay, maybe that wasn't quite true, but it was potentially totally possible. You all know Brandon well enough to know that that certainly could have happened. But anyways, I needed some excuse to be up here this morning. Hey, I wanna welcome you. If you're a guest with us today, we are so excited to have you joining us online. Even if it is online, we can't wait for that moment uh, when we can see you face to face. But if you're meeting us for the first time today, we just want you to know that we strive to be a church that's all about Jesus. And our hope is to help you meet, know, and follow him. And so you could not be here on a better Sunday to really capture that. In fact, the truths we're gonna look at today uh, could not be more relevant for the moment that we're in, as well as just this picture and this truth as a whole. The the series that we're in, titled Awake, is based on a letter uh, that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of people uh, who are in situations very much like we are in today. Uh, You could not have a more diverse city than Ephesus, Uh, in in that day. It had incredibly diversity in terms of the religions of the day, 50 different temples to different gods in that city, so all kinds of religious diversity. It was a port city. In fact, one of the most significant port cities in its day. Uh, It connected Rome to the east, so a lot of ships came through there and commerce, and if you ever lived in a place where there's a lot of commerce or things traveling in and out from both directions, you realize there's all kinds of additional issues and things that pop up because of that. So you could not have a more diverse and radically different place than Ephesus. And it really captures a lot of what we hear today. And here's the beauty of that, is in the midst of these difficult times that we face and the incredible diversity we face, we're asking the same questions they were asking even 2,000 years ago and beyond. What do I need to know? To get through this time? What's something that's going to last and carry me through the challenges that we're facing right now? And that's exactly what we're going to see today. In this passage, we looked at, starting last week, we saw the big picture of what God has said He has done for us as people an incredible truth and maybe the most comprehensive and concise passage in the Bible talking about what God has done and what his plan is. Today, we're gonna look at the response to that. What do we do in response to it? What do all people, any person who wants to know this true God, how do I respond to that and how do I get to know this God? So let's take a moment and just pray uh, and dive in and then we'll jump into our message today. So bow your heads with me as we just lift them up to God and hear from him today. Father God, uh, we love you and we do praise you even in the midst of these incredible difficult times. And Lord, uh, if we're honest, uh, many of us are asking questions about why is this happening? What's going on in our world? How do we put together all the information that's bombarding us from so many different directions right now? Lord, there are so many issues on the table and everyone feels like they have an answer to solve it. The problem is we keep finding ourselves back in the exact same place. So Lord, our prayer today is that you would open our eyes and our hearts uh, to the truth behind all this, to a knowledge that will help us walk through uh, what seems like an unprecedented time for our generation. And in doing so, Lord, that we would have a hope that's anchored in something beyond today's news or tomorrow's challenges. Lord, speak to us today as only you can, and we ask this in Jesus name. Amen. There's a true story about a woman who had an old necklace in her attic that had been passed down for generations. And she was cleaning out her attic one day and she came across this necklace in an old trunk and and she dusted it off and on a whim thought, you know, I should probably get this thing appraised you know, before I just throw it away. So she dusted it off and, and brought it to a jeweler. And when he began examining one of the diamonds in this necklace, his eyes suddenly got big and he got this shocked look on his face. And he kind of backed up and, and kind of gathered himself and he, and he looked again through his little eyeglass at the diamond again and got the same exact shocked look on his face to which the woman said, well, is there something wrong? What's going on? And the man said, well, do you have any idea how much this necklace is worth? And she said, well, no, it's been passed down for generations. and I just had it packed away in my attic. And he said, this diamond and and this necklace is worth several million dollars to which the woman obviously immediately went home, uh, purchased a very high-tech security case that she put this necklace in. She actually redesigned her home in such a way that this necklace became a centerpiece in her home. And everything from that moment on really revolved around the value of that necklace. The value of that necklace transformed and changed how she lived from that point on. You see, knowing God is like having a valuable diamond necklace in your attic and being unaware of just how valuable it is. Many of us just know about God, and that's it. He's, he's kind of like this necklace that sits in our attic, and we have some space for him in our lives, but we haven't really truly acknowledged his value. And the value and significance that he has has certainly not completely changed our lives. His life revolves around ours rather than ours around his. But knowing God personally and experientially is like this woman who came to know the true value of this necklace. And when she understood its worth, its significance, its weightiness, it totally changed how she viewed the necklace as well as how her life shifted as a result. Today's passage and message is all about this kind of knowledge and and how we can get it. How do we have a knowledge of God that's not just facts about him, but an experience with him that reminds us of how significant he is and how different we will be when we live in light of that truth. So if you have your Bible with you, open it up to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, we're in the last half of this Passage. And as we saw last week, Paul was talking about this broad, sweeping, 4,000 foot view of, of what God has done to engage in this world. And now he's responding to that. He's responding to that and writing this letter to a group of people who lived in this diverse city called Ephesus and how it was completely changing who they were because they had met and come to know this God. And he starts like this in verse 15. He says, this is why, because of what he just said, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. And now he talks about his prayer here. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. There's Paul, Paul's prayer. He, he wants them to know, have this knowledge of God, a true knowledge of God, an experiential knowledge of God. And so the first thing I want us to grasp here, the first point we have to take away from this is this, is when I pray, I need to pray in order to know God personally and experientially. I need to pray to know God personally and experientially. See, the word Paul uses here is a word that has more than just knowledge or intellectual knowledge. It has an experiential element to it. It's a head and a heart. It's a comprehensive knowledge of who God is. And Paul is saying, look, once you understand who God is and what he's done, the most important thing you can pray is to better know and experience this God. See, it's different than words Paul uses elsewhere. One in Romans 1.21, you don't need to turn there, but let me just help you contrast this to see what Paul's trying to say and what he's not trying to say. Paul says in Romans 1, when he wrote that passage, he says, "'For they knew God, for though they knew God, "'they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude.'" Totally different word. There, Paul's talking about just an intellectual ascent to, yeah, there's maybe a God out there. They knew about God. They knew facts about God, but they didn't have an experiential, personal relationship with him. And as a result, they didn't value him for who he really was. And that does us no good. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter seven, he said on that day, meaning that last day when we all stand before God, he said on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Jesus said he will dismiss people who never really have this experiential relationship with God you can know about God, you can even do things for God. But if you don't have this personal experiential relationship with him, then he says he didn't know you. It doesn't mean that God doesn't know about you. He doesn't like forget who we are. It's a very different word that has this Intellectual and heart and experiential component to it. In fact, it's similar to how it's used in other places. One of them, in a unique way, is in the Old Testament. You see a, a Hebrew word that's, that's similar to the Greek word that's used in this passage. And, and not all translations have this, some of the older ones do. But in Genesis chapter 4, uh, when Adam and Eve were together, it said that Adam knew his wife and they conceived Cain. See, he wasn't just saying that Adam knew who his wife was or he knew about her. He had an intimate experience with her, and as a result, they had a child. That's the kind of knowledge that God's talking about, an intimate experiential knowledge with someone else. In Philippians 3, Paul talks about this as well. In Philippians 3, chapter 10, look at this verse. It says, my goal is to know him. That's the same word, to know him. He's talking about Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Look at what he's saying here, not just facts about Jesus. He wants to experience the power of his resurrection. And even look at this, the fellowship of his sufferings. That's not a knowledge about Jesus' sufferings. Paul, and Paul lived this, Paul was willing to experience those kinds of sufferings in his own life to better understand the beauty and the significance of who Jesus was. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what this passage is talking about. You know, when I was in college, uh, that's where I met my wife, Carrie, we celebrated 29 years of marriage just this last week together, a pretty huge monument for us. But I remember when I first met her uh, and was pursuing her, I wanted to know her. I wanted to get to know her. And I could have gone about knowing her in a lot of different ways. I could have like looked up her class schedule and made notes. Oh, she's at this class at this time, she's here at this time. I could have like written down the rules of volleyball and softball. And tried to figure out those sports, both sports which she played in college and gotten to know her by knowing these rules and how volleyball operates, how softball operates. I could have like, watched her from a distance in the cafeteria and, and found out what kind of foods she liked to eat. I could have kind of tracked her down on the weekends and said, where does she like to hang out in the weekends? And I could have hit, had a whole notebook of facts about Carrie. And I probably could have known more about her than most people would have known about her. But guess what? I would have never had a true experience with her simply by knowing facts about her. And when I saw her at that point, when we began to get to know each other, I wanted to know her more than just facts about her. I wanted to spend time with her. I wanted to experience who Carrie is and who God had made her to be. That's totally different. And just knowing facts about her see i didn't just want to know where she hung out on the weekends i wanted to hang out with her on the weekends see when we pray we sit with the most incredible person in the universe and what's sad is we often spend the majority of our time in prayer talking about ourselves. let me say that again When we pray, we sit with the most incredible person in the universe. And most of the time we spend talking about ourselves. And that's not to say we should never share what's happening in our lives. That's not my point. My point is, when we fully understand who God is, it will transform how we pray. Let me ask you a question. What would your life look like? if you knew God to the degree that you know no one else in your life? What if you knew Him better than anyone else in your life? Because here's one thing I've learned. The person or the people you know the most have the greatest impact on your life. And I know that after 29 years of marriage. There is no earthly person I know that's impacted my life more than my wife has. There's no one I know better than her. The question is, if we truly know God, and if God is truly who he says he is, if he has the significance that his word teaches us he does, then does he have the impact on our lives that other people we know do? You could say, well, you know, Chad, that that sounds great, but how do I practically do this? How do I know God is supreme in the midst of everything that screams in my life? for my attention, all the things I gotta do from work to career to kids to family to school, whatever these things are, how can I know God in this intimate way? How can I have this kind of experience with him? That's exactly what Paul talks about in this passage. He starts with this overarching principle that if you're gonna know something, it's really not about knowing something, it's about knowing someone. That's where you start. The most important quest in life is to know God and not facts about Him because you can know the Bible and not know God. But have you had an experience with Him? Have you come to understand the significance of him in a way that transforms your life? And Paul's gonna go on to talk about three specific aspects of this knowledge of God, of this experience of God, that if we'll embrace these, will completely change how we live and even how we face these current times that we're in. So Paul goes on to say this as he talks about this knowledge of God. Now he's gonna give us three things. I'm gonna show you all three right here and then we're gonna take them quickly one at a time. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. There's the first one. What is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? There's the second. And thirdly, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? according to the mighty working of his strength. So we see three things in here in this person of God that we we have as we pray for, and Paul's encouraging us to pray for. We see a purpose in our hope. We see a possession in our inheritance, and we see a power that's working immeasurably in us. So what does that look like? Well, first one is this. I pray to experience the hope for which God has saved me. I pray to experience this hope. This hope, this calling that is in our lives as Christians, that as he saved us, he saved us with a purpose. This hope that knows the awesomeness of my present purpose and my future with God. That's a hope that God's given us. Man, aren't we in a time when all of us are seeking hope? I mean, every time we open up the news, we're looking for some kind of news that will give us hope. Man, are we going to get through this pandemic? Am I going to still have any reserves? Or am I going to have any financial stability? Am I going to own anything? Is my health going to stay intact? We are constantly looking for hope to navigate these difficult times. And Paul speaks into that in our lives in such an important way listen to what he says here he says what is the hope of his calling now this is a broad sweeping term but let me give you a passage where paul uh, spells this out a little bit in second corinthians chapter 4 he says this when we're in the midst of uh, difficult times he says therefore we do not give up meaning we don't give up hope as Christians, this hope of our calling is a hope to a new heavens and a new earth, a, a perfect relationship with God in a brand new created world with no sin and no death existing. And Paul says, hey, we don't give up hope. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light afflictions is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory so that we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal." Paul's encouraging this church in Corinth with the same truth he's just teaching us right here. When we pray, this should be at the heart of our prayers of God, show me this hope, remind me of what is true in my life. We spend so much time focusing on this little sliver of our physical life on this earth that may be at best 90, 100 years, for some less, for some more. But we focus on that when God has a whole eternity of hope waiting for us. And everything in that eternity is not just infinitely longer, it's unfathomably more beautiful and of higher quality. And we mess around so focused on today and lose perspective on that that we lose hope. We would have a totally different perspective if we knew and understood what was awaiting us. And Paul's saying, pray for that. God is longing to give you a spirit of wisdom and knowledge in that area of Him but we don't. We pray for hope now. God, fix this here. Fix that now. If you could just take care of all these things. And God knows it's kind of like a a game, right? We're playing Monopoly and we're so focused on getting Boardwalk and all these things here where an adult can go, okay, this is a little bit silly because pretty soon we're going to fold this whole thing up and it's going to go back into the box and it's going to mean absolutely nothing. And yet we're praying for little plastic houses and hotels and cars and various things here when God's wanting to give us something so much more glorious. But we lack the perspective to see it. Paul said to the Colossians in Colossians 3, 4, he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, meaning when he comes back again, then you also will appear with him in glory. And that glory there just means everything will be perfected at that moment. Everything that we've struggled with, everything we think we're going to lose, all the things we're hanging on to that keep deteriorating or destroyed or get stolen or rotten or rusting, all those kinds of things, they're going to be made perfect in that moment when he comes back. You see, every hope we've ever had in this world, fulfilled or not, will be infinitely fulfilled and absolutely perfected in the world to come. You see, so many people are looking for some kind of hope in the midst of this pandemic that still resides in this world. Man, if if we could just get a vaccine... If we could just, you know, get everyone to wear their masks and stay socially distanced. If we could just, if we could just, if we could just, we have 101 different ways in which we're seeking for hope in this world. Only for us to move past this pandemic and face one more issue that will throw us right into the same loop. Just read History. We have gone through this cycle over and over and over again every time we put our hope in something in this world. It never works. And Paul is saying, you have a hope that far exceeds anything this world could ever offer you. You see, all hope in this world eventually fails. It deteriorates, it shifts, it disappoints, and it dies. And that's all the world can ever offer us. But God has saved us for a new heaven and a new earth that will never disappoint. Just think about that for a moment. I mean, pause and ponder that. Let your mind just meditate on that truth when you meet with God and the power He has to make it possible. Let me ask you a question around this. How would a deeper knowledge of this guaranteed hope impact how you respond to failed hopes in this temporal world? How would a deeper knowledge, how would a a deeper trust in this unpenetrable hope in God affect how you face hopes that don't come to fruition in this temporal world? Well, Paul goes on to to say, it's not just that hope, that's one of the things, but there's this wealth of this glorious inheritance. He says in verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, but secondly, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So here's the second thing we can pray for, is I pray to experience the richness of God's glorious inheritance inheritance. I pray to experience this richness of God's glorious inheritance. And there's two really unique things about this inheritance if we dig into it a little bit. It's an inheritance. It's like no other inheritance you'll ever experience. First, the idea captures the fact that God sees us as his inheritance, this inheritance in the saints, of God's inheritance in his saints, that we are his inheritance and he's going to inherit us, that he sees value in us, in his people, so that when we die, he inherits us. That's an incredible thought. But here's what's ironic about it. The other reason it's like no other inheritance is that Usually when you inherit something, the person who inherits it gets the greatest value. Like you inherit a great car or, or maybe a home or, or some savings or a bank account or whatever, and you receive the greatest value from that inheritance. But in this inheritance, it's actually flipped around. There's mutual value, but we're the inheritance. God inherits us in this process, but we experience the greatest value. Meaning God inheriting us, meaning we, own, we belong to him, but we value or, or we benefit even more than God does. Let me just help you picture this in a little story I just kind of made up. Imagine you're a wealthy landowner with a beautiful personal estate. Like you have this huge personal estate. And, and then imagine that a dearly loved friend of yours Of very humble means, a very poor person. He passes away, but he's a dear friend of yours. And in his will, he says, I want you, the wealthy landowner, to inherit my scraggly little mutt. You just have this, he just has this loved, dingy little, scraggly little mutt that's his, and he wants you to inherit it. And so you want to follow those wishes, and so you go and you pick up the pup and you take them home, and you inherit that pup, which maybe isn't that great of an inheritance to you. You take that pup home, but when you get home, you open up the back doors of your home, and you have this 40-acre, perfectly manicured backyard, and you let the scraggly mutt out into your backyard. You so that's my inheritance, that dog. But that dog's going, wow, this is mine now. I've been inherited by one who has so much more than I do. And that's the picture Paul is painting here. That God inherits us in this process. And He longs to inherit us. But when we're inherited, we stand to benefit infinitely more than He ever does. But He loves us and wants that for us. How would you live differently today if you knew you were guaranteed and inherit to inherit a beautiful estate along with millions of dollars in say 2021 let's say january 1st of 2021 you were told you were stand to inherit a beautiful estate and millions of dollars how differently would you live right now if you knew that was coming that's exactly what paul's talking to us about when we pray We need to meditate on the wealth of God's goodness and what we stand to inherit and enjoy for all of eternity. And when that penetrates our hearts, it begins to change how we live right now. Paul goes on to talk about the last piece in this. So three things. We've seen the hope, now we've seen the inheritance, and the last one is this power that he talks about. He says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. So here's the third thing that we are to know and pray for in, in this relationship we have with God through Jesus Christ. We need to pray that we'll know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. So here's our prayer to pray, I pray the uh, to experience the immeasurable power of God toward us who believe. The immeasurable power of God toward us who believe. Let me flesh this out a little bit because this is kind of a... a, a two words that Paul just smashes together to really teach us something that's so impossible for us to fathom. This immeasurable power, that great power, it's immeasurable, meaning it's beyond what we can measure. And then he uses the word mega or huge. It's something that's huge, but it's beyond what you can measure, even if it was huge. The hugest thing, if you got the hugest thing, it's even beyond measure of that. You know, I thought of the story about JFK when he suggested we were going to land a man on the moon within a decade of his famous speech in 1962. It just seemed out of reach to mankind at that time. No way. Landing someone on the moon a quarter of a million miles away? But that was just a teeny little feat when you look at the expanse of our solar system, and even our galaxy. The, the moon at about a quarter of a million miles away is just a, a teeny tiny step when you consider the sun that's like 92 million miles away. And the sun is just a, a, a one stair step beyond that. And it's tiny in comparison. When you think of the nearest star than the sun, the next nearest star, which is 25 trillion miles away, like so far away, we can't even fathom that. It takes four and a half years for a beam of light to travel from that star to our Earth. Four and a half years. And, and light, you can snap your finger in one second, a beam of light can traverse the circumference of the Earth seven and a half times. So in the moment that I snap my finger, a beam of light travels around the Earth seven and a half times. Yet it takes four and a half years for it just to reach the very first star in the galaxy and scientists tell us there's hundreds and even billions of galaxies far, spread far beyond that when paul uses this term he's talking about that kind of a immeasurable greatness It's beyond anything that we can possibly fathom. It is so huge, so big. In fact, when you just think of the vastness of our universe, when you think of the abundance of energy and power within our universe, our universe in this world is able to accomplish a lot of things. A lot of things happen from the power in this universe. But you know the one thing that the power of the universe has never been able to accomplish? Raising someone from the dead. The power of our universe and nature's power has certainly taken life. It's certainly rearranged things that we've created and and structures that we've put up. It's done all kinds of destruction and it shows its power and the greatness of its power over and over again. But one thing it's never been able to do is raise someone from the dead. God and God alone has the power to do this. Many of us live in the grip of the fear of death. And it's not just physical death. It could be the death of a relationship. It could be the death of a career. It could be the death of our financial scenario. It could be the death of our popularity or the power that we hold. All these things that just naturally die in this world that we put our hope in. But God says, We have a hope, we have an experience of an immeasurable power that God exercises towards you and towards me. The same power that He exercised in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. Listen to what he says in the last section of this scripture. And we're going to look at this truth as we lead into our time of communion today. And we really ponder, what does this mean For me today, what does this truth look like for me? It says this about this power. It says, he exercises power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority and power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. You see, church, no one better understood the hope of God's calling, the riches of of his inheritance, and the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us than Jesus. That's why no one has ever lived the way he lived on this earth. Jesus didn't need to be accepted by the powers that be because he had a hope that far exceeded any hope he could ever have in this world. That's why he could both bend down and serve the most humble person on this earth and at the next moment stand up and humbly confront the most powerful person on this earth. Because his hope was not in power structures. Here, he didn't need to pander to those in leadership so that he could somehow get power and position to accomplish his ministry. Because he knew the hope of the calling on his life. A calling to offer his life for yours and for mine. I mean, Jesus knew the riches. He knew the riches of heaven experientially. He had been there in the presence of God the Father from all eternity past. He knew the beauty of God's presence, so much so that there was no temptation in this earth that could possibly cause him to risk what he knew awaited him through his perfect obedience to the Father. It didn't even make it that interesting. You see, we chase after things that will never last, somehow thinking that they're more significant than the infinite worth of the inheritance that awaits us. And Jesus, even when it came to his last moment, when he cried out to his father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even in that moment, He knew that if it would cost Him His life on that cross, that that couldn't take His hope, that couldn't take His inheritance. Because as this world has the power to put to death, and Jesus experienced that, the one thing Jesus knew that we didn't is that only one person has the power to breathe life back into death. And that was His Father he was willing to go to the deepest, darkest pit to lose everything he possibly could have owned in this world because he knew who had the immeasurably great power to raise him from the dead. Church, a day is coming when you will either be under his feet in forced submission or you will be a part of of his body through a willing and humble acceptance and trust in Jesus Christ. One way will be absolutely devastating. It'll just be a a continued experience of what we experience all the time in this world. The other way will be sheer delight, like nothing you've ever experienced in this world. So as we get ready to celebrate communion, I want to have us do this a little bit different today. As we focus on Jesus, always the center of communion, the bread representing his body, and the cup, his blood, and his sacrifice. I want to make this a little bit more personal. I want to take Paul's prayer and apply it to communion, that if we want to know him, we want to experience him, which is really what communion is about, recognizing the life that he lived for us and the sacrifice that he made for us in these three specific ways. So I'm going to just share three questions with you. And and I'm not asking you to look at all three of them. I'm asking you right where you are today as we celebrate and remember the person of Jesus, which aspect of his love and his goodness to you do you most need to know today? Where do you need a hope to overcome the hopelessness that may be presently dominating your life? Have you made some kind of earthly relationship your hope or or some career your hope or some expectation of what retirement should be? If that is your hope or some physical health, is that your hope? Each of these things will eventually disappoint you. Maybe your hope is, is that this pandemic's gonna end just in time for you to be able to accomplish all the things you've hoped to accomplish in your life. I just want to say, not in a doomsday way, that every time you put your hope in something in this world, it's going to let you down. But when you anchor it in the absolute hope of the calling God has placed in your life, when you trust Him, man, you have a hope that will allow you to walk through every season this world can throw at you. And Jesus modeled that hope for you. He purchased it for you that may be what you need to focus on as you hold his body in this cup for someone else it may be uh, the riches maybe it's this riches of an inheritance that you need to know and and that will overcome the financial and earthly poverty or disparity that you may be experiencing in this moment right now Maybe you're gripped in fear about losing some earthly riches that you've come to value too much. Or maybe you have an abundance of these things right now and it's really become your security through this time. And God's wanting you to loosen your grip on something that will never be satisfying so that you can serve those who may have a greater need in this season. Maybe it's these riches, the riches of inheritance that Jesus wants you to experience as you move forward in your life so that you can live with a different relationship to the temporal, wasting away riches of this world. Maybe for you it's a need to experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power. Where are you discouraged over the natural death that's occurring in your life? I mean, I see this every day. Things I can't do that I used to be able to do or parts of me that are falling apart and breaking and and disappearing even, hypothetically speaking. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes it's a relationship. Sometimes it's a career. Sometimes it's something that we're so trying to keep alive and we're expending all of our energy on this earth to try to resuscitate something that just needs to die with a hope that God will resurrect it in a way that nothing in this world could possibly do. As we hold the cup and the bread today, let's be reminded of the hope of the riches and of the immeasurable power that's ours in Jesus Christ. On that night, Jesus took the bread And he said, this bread is my body, offered for you. It's a perfect life that was sacrificed for your sin and mine. And he broke it. And he said, just as my body was broken, I do this for you. Take this in remembrance of me. in the same way he took the cup and he said this cup is a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of your sins and every time you drink of it you think of me lord jesus hmm. You and you alone are all we need to know. And Lord, we, we don't just need to know about you. We need to know you. We need to experience the hope that you experienced, the absolute certainty that what you knew your calling in life was, you were going to finish it to the end. Lord, we all want that purpose. We all want that hope that if we trust you, if we obey you, that it will not be for nothing. And Jesus, you modeled that perfectly. With incredible courage, you fulfilled the purpose for which your Father sent you. Lord Jesus, you weren't tempted by the riches of this world. Even though you'd created everything, you owned it already, but you lived With such open hands, you were born into poverty. You lived with such simplicity so that you could show us that there are riches that await us that are beyond anything we could possibly imagine. And no one can take them away from us. And power over death? Hmm. No one else can speak to that like you can. You died a horrific death to forgive us of our sins, but you rose in glorious power to show us a billboard. God, you didn't just give us a book that says, hey, I got immeasurably great power. You gave us a walking, living, breathing billboard in Jesus Christ that showed him rising from the dead. And, and putting all doubts aside, even those who closest to Him who really didn't think it was going to happen, their lives were changed forever because they experienced the immeasurable greatness of Your power. And we praise You and want to know that same thing, Lord. So would You open our eyes, would You open our hearts to the truth of who You are in the person of Jesus Christ, that we could know You